0: Delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rafferty's. It's the tastiest place in town.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dogs Chow House. In episode 83, Oscar's joined by longtime SEC official Dr. Ben Oldham. For over 42 years, Dr. Oldham has been a staple in SEC football officiating and he's put together quite the career. From officiating high school games, Dr. Oldham moved on to the OVC and then eventually the SEC thanks to one Kentucky football coach. We'll find out why Dr. Oldham turned down the NFL and the process of becoming an SEC official. Oscar and Dr. Oldham will reminisce about Saturday nights in Baton Rouge and some encounters with Mike the Tiger. Dr. Oldham has officiated more consecutive bowl games than any other official and he has the stories to back that up. And for those wondering why he has never officiated a game at UK, you'll get that answer. He has served as an on-field official, the chief replay official, evaluator of referees and now serves as a game day observer for the conference. Dr. Oldham has established himself as one of the most respected officials in the SEC and this is one play you don't want to miss. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House, and his guest, Dr. Ben Oldham.
0: Ben, is there anything quite like the fall of a year in college football?
2: Oscar, there's nothing like it. Oscar, let me tell you something. I've had opportunities to go to the National Football League, and I turned them down. After I did the 1988 Cotton Bowl, uh, there was a call I received when I got back to my office on Monday morning, and they said, this is so-and-so from the National Football League. And uh, we had two scouts at the Cotton Bowl because somebody in that crew had applied to the National Football League. And we don't think he can work in the National Football League. We think you can. If you put your application in, we think we can have you on the field next year in National Football League. And I said, oh, my goodness, I, I appreciate that. But I said, let me think about that because they have Sunday night games and Monday, Monday night games, and I have a Monday through Friday job at that time, and it might be a difficult thing. Call me back in about a month, and they did. They called me back in about a month, and they said, do you have your decision? I said, I have my decision. I'm not going to Green Bay in December. And they cracked up laughing, and I said, "I but I love Southern football, and I will spend my career in Southern football." And that that was my decision. It was a good decision. I never loved. regretted it. Never, not a minute, not a minute. Over four decades. Over four dec. Can you, Oscar? I'm old.
0: <laughs> no, you're not. Old, you're just better. <laughs> so, so how does a country boy from Georgetown, Kentucky, wind up in this business of? pulling out little yellow flags and throwing them on the field and running up
2: and giving all kinds of weird signs. and Funny story. Every story I have is a funny story, Oscar. But <laughs> uh, I graduated from college, and a very good friend of mine, fraternity brother, he was in my wedding, Dudley Webb from your area of the world. Yes. Uh, Dudley Webb wanted to officiate football. And he said, Ben, let's go sign up and officiate football. I said, Dudley? I don't want to do that. I don't like people throwing things at me or spitting at me. I don't want that. Don't want any part of that. He said, "No, let's do it." So he came by my house, and I said, "Where are we going?" He said, "Hop in the car. Let's go someplace." So we hopped in the car and went by Henry Clay High School, and there were a bunch of guys going in. And I said, "What's going on?" He said, "You're a football official. I've already signed you up. I've already paid the." money that you have to do to register, and you're a football official. So I started out. I was going to do Pee Wee League games and junior high games, J V games, those kinds of things. And um my very first ball game, because there was a shortage of high school officials that year. There's there's a shortage now. What year was this? That was nineteen sixty five. And um just out of college? Just out of college. And my very first game. Was Henry Clay versus Brian Station at Stahl Field my very first ball game, and so with a with a full uh, with a full crew of uh, local officials from Georgetown, B. Showalter, who was a great official, he was at the Downside of history history George, George Lusby, who's a county judge exec, executive in Georgetown now. Uh, those those people. Um, got me on their crew, and I called a full high school schedule my very first year and uh, did that for six years, and I said, I kind of enjoy this. I, I think I'll apply to the OVC. I'll, I'll see if I can move up a little bit. Now, what was your day job along with
0: it? You couldn't make a living just on calling
2: I was football a, games. I, I was a high school physics teacher. Uh, in, in college, I was a, a physics major and a math minor, uh, but I was a high school physics teacher and a track coach. And so I could I could do that in the in the fall of the year because I was spring uh had the springs open because of uh, of track. And um I, I did that for, for a while, I applied for the O V C. Uh this, the OVC took a chance on me, uh, uh officiated in the OVC for four years, it really enjoyed it. Uh and then I thought, you know, I may give the SEC a shot. This was in uh about nineteen 19- Seventy-five. And um, I put my application in, and um, the year I applied, there were roughly a 1,000 applicants, and the SEC took one.
0: I remember during that period of time, Fran Kersey was this livid. He felt like that they drew the line up between Tennessee and Kentucky, the SEC, and that Kentucky was only in there for basketball. And he was always upset that, on the roster of officials, you never saw anybody with
2: a residence in Kentucky. Fran Kersey had an awful lot to do with me getting in the Southeastern Conference. There there are three people, Fran Kersey, because he was on the coaches and officials committee, that he was raising Kane because there was nobody there to do clinics, nobody there to work scrimmages, to get an SEC look because... Uh, major college football it's it 's a different game, and you can 't just bring in high school officials to work those games but Fran Kersey wanted a southeastern conference look in his scrimmages to talk talked to him about rules, so he was raising Cain, and uh, for a long time, Tommy Bell had been a friend of mine, and Bruce Bell remains a friend of mine, Uh, good local people, but uh, Tommy Bell was so highly respected, and Tommy Bell put in a word for for me, and Billy Wise, who was the, uh, at that time, one of the associate commissioners in the the Kentucky High School Athletic Association, and uh, he had seen me work, and he called Cliff Harper, who was the head of officiating in the Southeastern Conference, uh, and said, I think I may have a Kentuckian for you. And so I was in Billy Wise's office when he was having a phone call with Cliff Harper, and Cliff Harper came to Lexington to interview me. And uh, Always wore a bow tie. Always wore a bow tie. Very distinguished (laughs) gentleman, tall, white hair, but a real gentleman. And uh, about a month later, I got a phone call and a letter in the mail saying... uh, We'd like you in the Southeastern Conference. And I was ecstatic because I thought I had no chance in the world because I I didn't have a football playing background in in college. uh, And that was important in that era of getting jobs. Let me me tell you the way the, the guidelines used to be. There were categories. In order for them to look at officials, the first grouping of officials that they looked at were former players in the Southeastern Conference. And then the next level below that, if they couldn't find anybody, uh, officials who worked major college games but were officiated by SEC officials. And those were schools like Tulane and, at that time, Memphis State, Georgia Tech, schools like, like that. That's the next level. The next level down, level three, and again, I ran track in college. I didn't play college football. Next level down, level three, major college football official. Again, I didn't play college football. The next level down was a transfer official from another major conference from from the Big Ten, the, the Big Ten, the Southwest Conference, Big East, whatever it was. A transfer official. I was coming out of the OVC. <laughs> this this was uh, Division Two A. No, this, I was not that. The fifth level. Fifth level. I was other. Th- these were women and and. Old men and whatever, but I came in under other. But a lot of that had to do with Fran Kersey wanting another, wanting a Kentucky official in the Southeastern Conference, and then with the support of of Tommy Bell and Billy Wise from the Kentucky High School Athletic Association. And that was that was my trek to get there.
0: First SEC game you worked.
2: Uh, I worked a game. It was a uh, a game in the in the Superdome. Uh, with, but I, w- I was a clock operator in that in that game, and a wonderful a wonderful experience to, to work that kind of Do thing. Do
0: you still have clock operators today? Yes.
2: Yes, they, they're called the alternate official. The alternate official operates the clock, and then if somebody gets hurt, as we had in our game It attempt, seemed
0: like used to they had one of these big old
2: cables that would run up down the sideline with it. Still have a cable.
0: Still have a cable. Still have
2: a cable, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, there have been times when somebody has tripped over the cable and unplugged the thing and then the <laughs> clock goes, goes down. They have to bring an engineer on the field to <laughs> plug the clock back in. So, uh, so that
0: first game?
2: That first game was, was in the uh, Superdome. But my first real fun experience, the, the greatest experience I had, probably one of my first games on the field, it was in Baton Rouge on a Saturday night. And there's nothing like Baton Rouge on a Saturday night. I, we
0: talk about that all the time. Oscar, let me you tell you. You can smell that moss coming uh, up from the
2: river. Oscar, the fir- first time I took my wife, and I, and I traveled with, with my wife a lot. She is a big football fan, and thank goodness she, she is supportive of what I have, have done. Uh, but my first, the first time I took her, to a game in Baton Rouge. We flew in about the end of the workday on Friday night, and I said, let's rent a car and drive down. I want to show you Tiger Stadium before the crowd really does pick up because they they get crazy around game time. All right, this was around 5 o'clock on Friday night before a Saturday night ball game. We got down there. The and there were
0: people ar- everywhere.
2: Oscar, they were parked on the sidewalk. They were tailgating. They partied all day. They partied all night. They partied all day the next day. By game time, they were ripe. They were absolutely ripe. And my experience in walking down the tunnel, I'll never forget. It was, it was LSU and Wake Forest walking down the tunnel, and every step, it got a little bit brighter and a little bit louder, and I stepped out, and it was deafening, and it was so bright, and I thought, Lord, there's no place in the world I would rather be than Baton Rouge on a Saturday night. This, this is an atmosphere that cannot be compared. And it was. Oh, it was, it was and, fantastic. And, and, and they really hate it when TV
0: says we got to play before Oh, oh! No, they hate day games. There is
2: no doubt about it. Fun, funny story about that that ball game. I had a a pass in my area, and uh, the pass was an uncatchable ball, and the fans were booing like crazy. You know, it it was pass interference, and so the coach coach was screaming hard. I walked aside. I said, Coach. If that ball had been catchable, it would definitely been pass interference. He said, Ben, let me rant a little bit. I'm trying to get these fans in the ball game, and they're not. <laughs> let me just talk to you now, for a minute. do you
0: remember what year that would have been? Oh. I mean, that sounds like that had to be Charlie Mack. It was
2: Charlie Mack, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, and a good good guy. I, Charlie Mack and a I, good I had A good
0: old Kentuckian a from his days on all the right, all
2: right, let me tell you something. Charlie, Charlie Mack, uh, between plays, TV timeout. He would talk to him about stories about Paris and all that kind of thing about Kentucky things. The snap of the ball, he would be on my case like you would not believe, calling me everything in the world, and then timeout. Ben, let me tell you what's going on in Paris right now. A great, a great guy though. My first trip
0: to Baton Rouge was '76. Kentucky, uh, Kentucky beat him pretty good, thirty something to thirteen. That was a their- uh, one of their better years. Oh, wait, no, I take it back. that was 77, not 76. And uh the uh, SID there, which I'm sure you knew at the time, a guy by the name of Paul Manassa. Absolutely. He's now gone. Yes. But he came up to me and introduced himself and asked me about, did I know Charlie Mack from Kentucky days? I said, well, I knew of him. I didn't know him that well. He said, now, do you know our routine here? And I said, no, I don't. He said, well, are you traveling with the team? I said, no, I came down to commercial. He said, well, now, after the game, there's a ten minute cooling off period. Charlie Mack will come out and talk to the media. And then one hour after the game, the clock will be going up in the press box. One hour after the game, Charlie Mack will come up and he'll eat pizza with y'all. And he'll drink a little beer. And then whenever the license's gone, he goes. And I said, Well, how long's that? He says, until the last media person leaves. Really? Yes. And so I said, Well, I don't drink. But I said, I'll have a Coke, and I'll eat pizza. <laughs> and we sit up there, and the last three people left was me and a Baton Rouge rider and Charlie Mack at 10 minutes to 3. Oh, you're kidding me. 10 minutes to 3. Wow. And that was routine back in those days. You don't have that kind of relationship with media and coaches anymore. Right. Yeah, they'll give you three and a half minutes at that. Right. Media probably doesn't deserve any more than three and a half minutes, <laughs> no. too. But anyway, that that was the experience. And I had that same experience that you had if I could only go to one more away football game in my life, it would be Baton Rouge on a Saturday night. I mean, there is just
2: nothing like it. The atmosphere is electric. It is absolutely, absolutely electric. And when I would go to get the visiting team to chat with the visiting team coaches before the game, The LSU people, I don't know what's cheerleaders, game management, they would take Mike the Tiger and put him right outside the visiting team dressing room with a microphone in there, and that Tiger would be roaring, and the visiting team would be hearing Mike the Tiger roar right outside the dressing room. That same night, pregame, I'm walking the
0: sideline. I go in the press box for a game. The Kentucky team is there in the tunnel right where their locker room is. They're getting ready to come out. Yeah, and this is Art Steele, Derek Ramsey, I mean, the great team. Oh, my. And they get ready to come out there, so they come out. They're going to wait and come out with the LSU team, so when all the cheering is, right. they won't get the booing. So just when they run out, they walk up, and unbeknownst to Art Steele is this tiger cage <laughs> you're talking about. Mike the Tiger. And, and Mike the Tiger was in there, and so just as they started to come out, this cheerleader – for LSU comes up with what looks like a baseball bat, but it was bigger. And he takes it and wrecks it through there. And Art still trailing looked. I mean, he turned white. And after the game that, that night, he told me, he said, you know what? He said that guy across the line for me. Never got close to me the first time. And I said, Why is that? He said, I had to change uniforms. I <laughs> but
2: that—that's—I that, know that story is true yeah. because I've been there. I've seen that. I've seen it. So, so what was the, the first year like? And then evolve a little bit more on. Uh, some of the places you went the to. The first, first, first year, uh, being a young official, I was 32 years old when I got in the Southeastern College. I was very young. What
0: kind of paid did you get for doing a game back then? Uh,
2: Maybe $250 a game. And what does it run now? Uh, My check after a game is probably in the vicinity of
0: $3,000. Yeah, Plus expenses? No,
2: I, I take expenses take out. of take expenses outside.
0: out. Yeah. Does that is that true for all the on-field officials? Yes,
2: yes. At, at one time, they had uh, levels of officials. They they had the more experienced guys. The more experienced guys got paid more. But everybody gets paid the same now. But now it can fluctuate from conference to conference. Yes, or not. absolutely. And I, and I have no idea what the other conferences mm-hmm. made. But when uh, uh, Boyd McWhorter, you mentioned Boyd McQuarter, great guy, a terrific guy. But he oh
0: Georgia professor. Yes,
2: yes. He was he was the commissioner, and he he would come in and talk to the officials before before the game. I mean, before our conference started, and he said, "Fells, let me tell you one thing. You're in the best conference in the country. We think you're the best officials in the country, and nobody will be paid more than you are. I will make sure that no officiating group. Now, I don't know what that's like now, but Boyd McWhorter says, I know what they're paid, and nobody will be paid more than you are. He was certainly a man of his word. Without a doubt. Loved that cigar. I
0: love the cigar, without a doubt, yes. So, uh... You uh, you you continue this and you sort of move up the ladder. You you've worked uh,
2: more postseason games than any football official. Uh, I've been told that. Yes. I. Uh, but but then again, Oscar, let me tell you something. That probably has to do with being as old as I am. When you're, I got in at age 32, and so when you've been around that long, you have the opportunity. Uh, if you build up, get some, some seniority, uh, by, by the time you get near coming off the field time, uh, you've, you've worked a whole lot of postseason ball games and SEC championships. But, uh, do, do I think I was good, Oscar? I thought I was good, but I wouldn't want to be on the field with any official who didn't think he was one of the best in the country. So it really goes along. It's a mentality that any official would have. You worked eight SEC championship eight, games. Eight SEC championship games. Yes. And I've, I, I can't even tell you who played in the games, but I was on the field for the two, uh, one, one point games. There, there were two tightly con- contested games. and I had both of them. What Which of those eight was the most exciting game you won? Oh, let me tell you something, Oscar. When you go to an SEC championship game, uh, and this is the honest truth. Football officials would rather have the SEC championship game than any bowl game except the national championship game because quite often it is for the national championship game. the The teams that play in, in those games are typically competing for the national championship, and the team that they're playing against they end up defeating maybe the number t- two team in the country that year. So, uh, I've had so so many of them, so many great games. I, I had an I had an Alabama. I mean. I had a Tennessee Auburn game, and this may have been one of those where uh, uh, it was one of the one-point games. But uh, Tennessee was down like three touchdowns late in the game, and they came back. They ended up winning the game. And when they had the game on top, I swung by Tennessee sideline, and Philip Fulmer was was a the coach then. I said, Coach. Why would you do this? He said, Ben, I have no idea why a person would want to put himself through this and call that a profession. Make a living doing this. But uh, I had a great relationship with him. But, again, you're getting conversations like that with coaches. I uh, uh, I was doing a clinic uh, several years ago when uh, Derek Dooley, was the head coach at Tennessee, and I was doing a clinic down there. Who is there. Vince's son. Who's it? Vince's son, yes. And uh, I heard somebody say, hey, Ben, what are you doing here? Well, Johnny Majors and Vince Dooley were over there telling war stories, and they wanted me to be included in their war stories. And rather than <laughs> checking officials, here I was over there talking with two Hall of Fame coaches, Vince, Vince Dooley and Johnny Majors, two guys that I knew on a first-name basis and are great, great men. You work two Orange Bowls, two Orange Bowls, yes. Cotton Bowl, Cotton Bowl, Sugar
0: Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, and two Rose Bowls, two two
2: Rose Bowls, yes. Tell me
0: about the Rose Bowl. Did they live up to yes expectations? Yes,
2: Ro- Rose Bowl is something special. Again, I've I've done all all the major bowl games, but the Rose Bowl, they do everything in the world for you. Um, the uh, my wife, again, who travels with, with me a lot, but the families all go to the big big bowl games. But uh, I didn't get to go to the Rose Bowl parade because I was involved in pre-game kinds of activities. But my wife and the other wives had a police escort to the Rose Bowl parade. People had been camping out for days to have a good seat, a good place to stand for the Rose Bowl parade. My wife, again, and the other wives had a police escort And they were taken to the reviewing stand, and they had coffee and donuts waiting for them at the reviewing stand. Police, they had when they took the officials from our hotel to the Rose Bowl, they shut down the highways in Los Angeles. People were honking horns, but we had like six or seven uh, chips, motorcycle policemen, police cars zero traffic, shot straight to the Rose Bowl, and there was a reviewing line like like a, a red carpet for a Hollywood event, wanting autographs. There was nothing like the Rose Bowl, nothing like the Rose Bowl. You go to all these bowl games, you probably got the most expensive,
0: the most valuable college bowl ring collection of anyone in history. <laughs> I mean most I, people you, are looking to you're get one You're stretching
2: it, Oscar. you just told me how many bows you in, in, in history. In, in history is a big stretch, Oscar. I but, know it, but like you said, I, you're an old man and you worked it for 42
0: years. <laughs> nobody has had the opportunity. <laughs> now which ring are you wearing
2: today? I'm wearing a rose bowl ring today. The rose bowl ring today. I, I, I love I love the rose bowl ring. But but then again all all the all the rings all the watches are something special
0: have you ever taken the time to go to google or ebay and just look the value of those rings you've got
2: i have not but they're not for sale they're not for sale
0: (laughs) i haven't checked the uh the 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 the, is that the crowning jewel for a football official at the end of the year is that like you going 10 and 2 or 11-1 getting to work
2: a bowl game? Without a doubt, yes. The um, Early on, when I started out officiating football, there weren't that many bowls. Again, I, I'm old, Five Oscar. or six, seven? I, uh, yes, it, th- there weren't many bowls at all, and it was a big deal to get a bowl game. When I, in 19, Following the 1987 season and 1988... I got the call. I can tell you where I was sitting in my office when my phone rang, and it was Gordon Pettis from the Southeastern Conference. He was a supervisor of officials then. And uh, he said, Ben, you're ranked number one in your position. You get your choice of bowls. You have uh, you can work the Blue Bonnet Bowl. At that time, there was a Houston, Blue Bonnet Bowl Houston. In, in Houston. Or you can work the Independence Bowl. You didn't want to go to Shreveport. I, 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 I've been there twice. <laughs> I, I, I did not want to go to Shreveport. You've not and, got your s- room reserved for next year. I, I do not. I know. <laughs> no, I do not. But, but we, really, we're re- going to re- make re- Tim Brando very upset Really, the people there in Shreveport, they were great. They were absolutely great. But then it, his offer was, or he said, the Cotton Bowl. I said, I want to go on New Year's Day. He said, the cotton bowl's yours. And it was it was absolutely wonderful. But let me tell you something. We we flew into Dallas and we had a, a pendant around our necks that uh had the cotton bowl logo, and they said, You go into any place in the Dallas area, and that is entry into anywhere you want to go. I don't care how long the lines are, you go to the front of the line. And and they they took care of it. It was wonderful, but it was it was a balmy time, beautiful day. Until the day of the game, a cold front came through and I've never been as cold in my life. We had, uh, we went out and we bought everything we could put under our fishing gear. All of us looked like Michelin men. I, I mean, we had stuff stuffed under there just to warm us up a little bit. One of the fellows, I looked down at him and that's before they had longer pants for the officials. And we all had knickers on. I looked down at him, looked like he had growths on the back of his legs. And I said, Joe... What's wrong with you?" he said. "Electric socks. I have a battery. I have a battery under my socks." He he wore electric. It was that cold, Oscar. I've never been as cold in my life. But again, it was a great ball game. That was the that was that the, was the way it was in '76, for the peach bowl in Atlanta. Oh, really? It was coldest well, football game I've well, ever been. Well, to. Well, th- th- this is the game where Tim Brown, the Heisman Trophy winner, mm-hmm. uh, there was a rule change of following year because of what happened with him his girlfriend had given him a towel with his name and his player number on this towel and one of the Texas A&M players it was Texas A&M and Notre Dame one of the Texas A&M players on a kickoff ran up and grabbed Tim Brown's towel jerked it out of his uh football pants and ran to the other side you know one of the 12th man the Mm -hmm. 12th man yeah uh, uh waving that that towel, Tim Brown chased him and jumped on his back to get his towel back. And I have a picture in my weight room of trying to keep Jackie Sherrill off the field. We were trying to keep the coaches off the field. Coaches, let us take care of this. We are going to take care of things. And now, if you check the rule book, the towels that hang around the player's waist to keep their hands dry can have nothing on them. No player number, no Uh, name on there is totally white because of that instance that happened in the 1988 Cotton Bowl and I was part of it. (laughs) You, uh, we we talk about
0: officiating crews and today SEC we speak of. Are you assigning games as a crew or do you mix and match officials from week to week?
2: Uh, When I came in, you mixed and matched officials from week to week. Now they're are crews totally who travel. Now, now, the replay officials do not travel with a crew. They they are assigned separate games. And one of the reasons why, the replay officials have a second role of evaluating the officials post-season. They, they will pull us together in late January to see who the officials, who the good officials are, but they don't they want to see all the crews during the course of a season.
0: How many crews will you have in any given year, say in the SEC? Uh,
2: I think it's nine nine crews now.
0: Okay. Now, let's just say for whatever reason, uh, the commissioner suspends two officials for one or two games because of whatever, yes. they missed a play yes. or whatever. Yes. How yes. do you feel that group? Have you got some standbys or how? Yes. Do you miss there, them?
2: there are supplemental officials but the way the way it works to keep from embarrassing people uh the the first month of the season the schedule is released but after that you know the the first month there are a lot of of um warm-up type Type games, lower, lower level games, mm-hmm. and, but before the conference non-conference started. games. Yes, and then after that, it's week by week. So, if the commissioner or the supervisor officials wants to pull an official or two officials out of a game, it's not going to embarrass him. There may be shifting around. That that official may have made a right call, but he is put in a different ball game because you don't want to send him back to Alabama or to LSU if or been whatever. Been a bad experience without a doubt.
0: Now, now in basketball, you have a situation where officials are not allowed to call a game at a school at which they attended.
2: Same f- S- football is very much the same more way. Same. You now, cannot-
0: now, now in basketball, they sort of make that even more conservative in the fact that you don't call it a, a, a game necessarily in your own town. I know a lot of this. Same thing. Same thing. Now, it's, have it's, you
2: ever called a Kentucky game? Uh, not, no, no, never, never in my past role on the field or in the replay booth the answer is no but now my role
0: were were you given the option of doing that or was that just a rule you could not do it
2: rule i could not do it and the way the rule is beyond even what you're saying you can't call if you went to that school or if you were a teammate of the head coach or if you played for that head coach because uh When when I got got in, the conference was primarily a Georgia a Georgia and Alabama conference, and a lot of the players played for uh, whether it was uh, uh, Bear Bryant or uh, Pat Dye. Or for example, Pat
0: Dye coached at Auburn for years, but he played at Georgia. played, Played at Georgia. And if I remember right, the same thing was true with Dooley, wasn't
2: it? In he, reverse. In Auburn, yes. Now, f- funny, funny story about Pat Dye, and I, I apologize for the stories. but you, no, 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 You mentioned a name, and all of a sudden a story <laughs> pops into my mind. I, was, uh, I had an Auburn game. I, I called the Auburn-Georgia game probably five years in a row, the oldest football rivalry in the South. And, and they assigned me that ball game five years in a row. I love to call the ball game. They were both great teams. They're, they're always really, really good good teams, uh, but uh, I was, this was around uh, the 14th of November, I was taking a birthday card down to mail mail to my mother, and my, my family was with me at the ball game, so uh, taking the card down, and the Auburn team was having breakfast down there. They they have a lobby in, a, in the hotel, and they're having breakfast, and uh, Pat Dye and I, because I've been on the field for a long time, he saw me, waved to me, and my ten year old son was there with me and he walked up and I said, Do you want do you want to meet uh, Coach Dye? Oh yeah, of course. Well, um I I walked over to Coach Dye I said, Coach, my son would just just like like to meet you. He he likes Auburn football and he would just like, like to meet you. And Pat Dye walked over to him. A 10-year-old boy put his arm around him and said, son, I'm gonna make you a War Eagle. I I want you on this Auburn football team. And it was just one of the highlights of his of his young life at that at that time. And just made over my son. And so the next day before the game, I swung by the Auburn sideline. I said, Coach, I just want to tell you. I, I want to tell you how much I appreciate what you did for my son. That was one of the highlights of his life. But I said, Coach if you think that bought you a thing today, you're wrong. And I had a pass interference against Auburn in the end zone early in that ball game. Pat Dye wouldn't even talk to him. He wouldn't even look at me. I was, <laughs> but, again, I, uh, Oscar, there are so many stories like that. that uh, and great, great coaches. Pat, Pat Dye, we had a great relationship. Johnny Majors and I had a great, great relationship.
0: Um, take me back to your days on the field. Uh, first of all, would you rather be an official that was out the umpire, out in the middle field working, or did you like to work the sidelines where
2: you could sort of have a little personal banner with the coaches? I was always deep. I was always a deep official. I was always uh, field judge, side judge, that that position, and I like that because. Uh, Oscar, I ran track in college, and I prided myself from being for being fairly fast. And I like to see what what kind of speed the uh, defensive backs had, and, and the offensive runs. I know one of my early ball games in Baton Rouge, uh, Charles Alexander, Alexander the Great. I
0: heard you outran him to the well, end zone one let's, day.
2: Let's let's talk about that, Oscar. Okay, That's. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I was hoping he would break one because I at that time I thought I was fairly fast. You know, young guy, I, I thought I can. I want to test him. I want to see what he's like. Well, that team was sticking him like like teams do Benny Snell now. I mean, they they are keying on him, and they were sticking him. Midway in the fourth quarter, he swung out on a sweep, and a couple of defensive backs came up to make the tackle. I was moving up to get a good spot of forward progress, and as I was moving up to get forward progress, he turned the corner and went past those two defensive backs, and he went past me. And I had to turn and go with him. And we went stride for stride down the sideline. And my first picture in a newspaper anywhere was in the uh, New Orleans Picayune. Uh, The two of us were going down near the goal line. And it said, the caption was, Ref races Alexander to the goal line, Charlie won. Let me tell you, Oster, he may have beaten me by about six inches, but I was closing on him.
0: That weight room mentality of yours
2: sort of paid off that day. Tell me
0: a little bit about your weight room mentality.
2: Well, I I have a full weight room in my basement. I've I've exercised with weights since I was fourteen years old, and I don't miss. I still lift pretty heavy weights, but uh, uh, I, I enjoy it. It's it's a good emotional release for me. I lift weights down in my weight room, but uh, it, it's it's been a major part of my life and. You know, maybe one of, one of the reasons I didn't play college football, Oscar, when I started in college, I weighed 140 pounds. I, again, I ran track. I was fast, but uh, I wouldn't have been very successful on the football field, especially the way football was played back then. It was belly serious football. It was run the ball as three yards in a cloud of dust. I couldn't do that. By the time I was a senior and in a weight room, I weighed 185 pounds, and I, and I was still running track. And uh, I was I was approached about uh, playing playing football my senior year in college, but I I'd been been away from it for so long that that was not not really a good, good option. But uh, again, that weight room time, I was a competitor. Believe me, I was. A, <laughs> but and again, uh, Oscar, any official on the field, he has been involved in athletics and he's a competitor.
0: Let's talk about the officials on the field for a minute. For our listeners that watches the games but really don't know the integral details of of a fishing, tell me. Or describe what each official does on the field, what the responsibilities are, and then what you've got.
2: Six guys out there. That Oscar, it's eight. And- Oscar, you're not you're not watching the game like. Now you wait a minute, wait.
0: Oscar, you're not you watching you the get, game. You don't, get, don't don't even I go mean, there, Oscar. You got six <laughs> plus you got the referee back there, and then you got the deep guy. See. <laughs> right. Now you tell me though, when there's a disagreement, is that where the referee is the ultimate arbiter? No. No, so the referee, Walk us the, through the referee. The,
2: the, 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 there is a conversation. If there is a call that is made, the official making the call comes to the referee, and the referee uh, makes the announcement. But he does not make the call, and he is not an arbiter of any of any. Kind. What happens if two ref two officials sees the play differently? When that often happens, and it usually happens deep, one of the officials throws a pass interference flag, and another official comes to him. And says, and this is the way we instruct the officials now. You don't say, "Do you think that ball was catchable?" You don't ask him the question. You say, "That ball was not catchable. Pick up your flag." So, uh, is there any uh, discussion about was that? Was a good... the
0: was the ball catchable in the Kentucky, Missouri game? I'm not.
2: I'm not going to talk about that. Uh, I, I, I can't talk about okay. individual calls, Oscar. I, okay. I, do Do I have an opinion? I absolutely have an opinion but i can't I can't talk 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 about that,
0: but I mean that's the type of play you're talking oh, about absolutely and,
2: and so and so one official would come to the other official, but he doesn't he never asks a question because so so I, the first official the the second official trumps it when he says it wasn't catchable he- he can trump it, yes. And if the other official said no, that ball was catchable, then you go with the official who said the ball was catchable. Now he he wouldn't throw his flag if if he if if he thought the flag if the ball was uncatchable. So he he throws his flag. Somebody comes comes across the field and tells him, Ben, that ball was not catchable. Fine, I'll pick up my flag and stick it in my pocket. So, but one official does not overrule another one. One official may may say. I saw the whole play. Let me give you give an example. I was calling a game at Auburn a number of years ago, and I was a fairly young official, and there was an official who called a late hit piling on. A, a defensive player came and hit on, on top of the pile late. official threw his flag on top of the pile, and I was across the field, and I saw the whole thing. The official was too close, and he didn't see the reason the guy piled on. There was another player who came and hit this player in the back, and drove him onto the pile. I said, you don't have piling on, you've got a block in the back. He said, what? I said, I saw the whole play, you make the announcement the referee, you've got block in the back. He said, fine. And, and he came up to me after the game, he said, oh, you're exactly right. That was a block in the back. So, uh, again, those kinds of things are done, and the off officials, the, the officials who are on the other side of the field have to be watching the whole play because somebody right on top of the play may not see something in his peripheral vision that is the deciding factor in that play. Is is the officials on the field um, got certain areas that they yes. protect? Yes. Explain that. Yes. the 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 referee... The white hat watches the quarterback and the tackle on his side of the field. So if there's a holding by that uh right tackle, typically the right tackle, if there's a holding by the by the right tackle, um uh he will he will be responsible for for that. The center judge now watches a little bit of the quarterback, but more of the left tackle. So he watches the other tackle. Now can they make calls on other players, if they see something major, absolutely. Now, the the two wing officials, the the head linesman and the line judge, they watch the line of scrimmage, but they but they also watch the uh, the sec the slot man quite often. What he does, what's done to him. Linesman, line judge, the deeper the, the the umpire. The umpire stands right behind the defensive line. the The umpire watches the, s- the snapper, the center. And the two guards was was there a chop block was the stand up of the player knocking somebody else over over the legs of another player was there holding trying to get the middle was there a pull and shoot did did, did one defensive player pull an offensive player out of the way so another a linebacker might be able to run through so he watches the the snapper and the two guards the 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 three deep officials i was a deep official on the outside of the play And I watched the widest receiver on my side of the field. I know I was having a conversation with uh, Fran Kersey one time. He said, Ben, tell me a little bit about uh, LSU's defense. Well, I couldn't talk to him about that any. I I couldn't. You know, you you can't talk to coaches about what, what you saw. Anyway, he had people great film, that he, he knew what LSU did and what they couldn't do. I said, but I'll tell you one thing. I can tell you what size shoes a wide receiver wears. <laughs> I knew everything about him. I knew I, when I did the national championship game, um, uh, Peter Warry, the great receiver, he, he made some incredible plays in that ball game. But I knew when he was a hot receiver, he would come out and line up wide, and I'd see his thumbs go up. And I said, they're throwing the ball to him. I don't know what a defensive back saw that. I saw it, and I was on him. I was on him like a duck on a bug. The uh,
0: there, there, there's a lot of people says that you could throw the flag for offensive holding on every single play in a game. Absolutely.
2: You you, you tell you, me you when can. you do and when you, you, you don't. When when and I'm. I grade films now, one of the things I I do when I get home on on Sunday and Monday, I'll I'll grade the officials. i watch every play of of the game. And if there is holding on the left side of the line and the play goes on the right side of the line and the the hold had nothing to do with the the play, I don't want an official dropping the flag on that. But I do want him to go to that player saying, you know, you, you grab that player's jersey. If that play came to your side, it's a 10 yard penalty, you know, it's, it's on you. So, uh, the, the umpire is the one who calls holding most of the time. And so is that at the point, the point of contact when when the play is right at that area, then if there is a takedown, unless it is wide, wide out in the open, everybody, the fans can all see it. And it is a, a wrestling hold, a takedown. Then, then you go ahead and call it for the integrity. And, the
0: and how do you explain that to the fans that, you made a determination just opposite of what you did earlier. Like it really didn't affect the play, but it's so out in the open that instead of twenty percent of the fans seeing
2: it, now ninety percent see it. Well, I don't explain anything to fans. Believe me, I don't explain anything to fans. I make I make my decision, and whatever the conference office, if they if they like me, they keep me. If I do things that the conference office doesn't like, uh, Ben, you need to find something else to do on Saturday afternoon. So, uh, but 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 again. Uh, all officials are graded. And again, I grade them. I talk to them after the game. I have my, like I mentioned to you earlier, I have uh, a Surface Pro computer that the SEC bought for me, and I have every play of a game I grade. And so it's a touch screen. And so as the game goes on, if it's a play that I want to talk to them about after the game, they're about 25 plays typically. I'll hit, hit the touch screen, a star will come up. And so after the game, I'll bring the officials back in and I'll hit a button on my Surface Pro that it says favorites. It lists all those plays. And I said, okay, with 1014 left in the first quarter. There was a play that was up the middle, and it looked like that snapper may have been grabbed a jersey. Tell me what you were looking at. What and he said, Well, uh that play, I didn't think it affected the play that that much. And I said, Well. It did. You got down great on that one. That 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 was not that was not the kind of uh overlook that you make on that. So I talked to him again about twenty-five plays during the game. There there was a, a game I was I'm trying to think where I was a couple of weeks ago. Uh the the official on the field signaled touchdown and he signaled uh defensive pass interference. After the game, we looked at it and I said, first of all, the ball came out, we had to review it. The ball came out. It was not a touchdown, but the offensive pass interference, I mean the defensive pass interference, the defender hardly touched him. It wasn't close. I said, tell me what you were looking at. He said, I have no idea. He said, on the field it looked pretty good, but I said, he said, I see what you see now. He said, it wasn't there, and it wasn't there. And he was absolutely, or is absolutely. I can't remember which game that was, but I I saw that game. Oscar, it it wasn't close. I mean, he he couldn't have reached out and grabbed him. I mean, I don't see what he was looking at, Oscar. But it's the same official. Same official, yes, yes. But, but again, he is a terrific – he may be be our number one field judge. He is absolutely outstanding, but occasionally you have a hiccup.
0: When you grade these officials, these games – does each official get an actual grade like an A, B, C, or D or a ninety eight or ninety
2: six or 98, 96, yes. That yeah. uh if there is a if there's a call that's missed, the lowest down downgrade, the smallest amount you take off is four points. You start at a hundred, lowest is four points and it goes up to eight or ten points. What what do you consider an okay score? Uh officials if they get below a ninety six, they they they're calling me, being Let's talk about this. You know, tell me, what what can I do to to improve? This This just is not who I am as an official. So let's to be
0: confident it. in the SEC, you should be 96 and above. Without a doubt.
2: Without a doubt. Does, does,
0: does Let's say out of most of them work 10, 12 games, yes. I presume. Yes. And let's say that someone has three games at 92, and the rest of them are 96 or above. What kind of year has he had?
2: Not very good. It's unlikely that that official would get a bowl game, and when we meet together in January, there'll be a lot of discussion. Uh, Does this fellow rise to the level of expectations for an SEC official on the field? If his judgment is not sufficient to keep him on the field another year? Because again, the SEC, it is the major college conference in the country And the expectation is that the officials on there need to be working the kind of game at that level that that, that the players are.
1: You just finished Episode 83 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. Oscar has plenty more with Dr. Oldham coming up in Episodes 84 and 85. Episode 84 will feature many more SEC officiating subjects, including what game day is like for officials. All of Oscar's podcasts are available on your mobile devices, and those episodes can be automatically downloaded through iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Search for Wildcat News and hit subscribe. And, of course, the traditional way to access all episodes of conversations is to listen through OscarCombs.com. Oscar on Twitter. You can follow him at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, and on behalf of Oscar and Dr. Oldham, thanks for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and Double Dog's Chow House. And as always, go Big boy.